guns and politics. What a new state senator and backer of criminal reform in Illinois says about the new laws in the state and making your public television station stronger in the cities. We thank you for joining us for this locally produced public affairs program, the longest running such program on Quad Cities Television, and it's thanks to your support. So we'll talk about that in just a moment. But first, law and order, guns and opposition. A restraining order has been granted on the new state law that caps the sale of high-capacity ammunition magazines, switches that allow semi-automatic firearms to fire rounds automatically, and prevents people deemed dangerous from possessing a gun in the first place. The bill quickly passed the democratically controlled legislature and it was signed by the Democratic governor. We talked with Democratic State Senator Mike Halpin from Rock Island. So there is federal lawsuits filed against uh, the Illinois firearms ban. There is a, a restraining order, temporary restraining order, totally expected, I'm sure, by, by lawmakers. Tell me why this ban is so important. Well, you know, I, I'm, this is an issue that's really been um, a divisive one for, for my district. Uh, I went throughout last year's campaign, knocked a lot of doors, and there wasn't a lot of support for it. So I was actually a vote against that bill um, uh, in the House, in part because of what my constituents were telling me, but also because of that, the legal issue where there's a very good chance that uh, the courts may find it unconstitutional. Um, so. I would certainly prefer to see something done on a federal level, um, particularly being in a border state here in Illinois. It's very difficult for uh, people to have a certain set of rules on this side of the river and then a completely uh, different arrangement over in Iowa. Very much so. So I'm, I'm really kind of waiting to see uh, what actually happens with the lawsuits and, and where, where do we go from there. Personally, were you against it? Yeah, you know, I, I think there are a lot of weapons out there that uh, really aren't needed in day-to-day -day life, you don't need them to, to hunt or for personal protection. Um, and as we see, um, these type of weapons have a, a huge impact in a lot of our communities. Um, so it's one, that, it's an issue that I struggled with myself. You are also the head of the Democratic Party in Rock Island County, and, yep. and, and you do know that this is going to be tagged on Democrats being anti-Second Amendment, anti-guns. Yep. We're very, uh, we're certainly a very big party. Uh, we are a big tent party, and we have a lot of respect for uh, folks with differing views within it, and we'll let each, uh, obviously each voter make their own decision here. Um, you know, as, as a party, as a, as a whole, we've uh, taken positions on these issues, and yet uh, we certainly continue to be uh, supported and, and reelected in this area. So I'm confident that voters will be able to uh, make good decisions. What I've always said is that you may not agree with me or any of our other Democratic candidates on every issue, um, but on a whole, uh, the voters of this area do support uh, Democrats and want to continue to see them governing, especially when you uh, see the alternative. You take a look at what's going on as far as the Democrats are concerned. Uh, you take the Safety Act from last year that yeah. you're trying to do some types of criminal reform, um, whether it is guns or whether it is uh, cash bail. Tell me if you've rethought about your support of the Safety Act. And I know that the, the amendments during the lame duck are trying to make some corrections here. Um, do you think this is a, a law that's going to be strong? Do you think it was as strong as when you thought it when you voted for it the first time? Yeah, so I think it, it, was, as, it was as fair 
as I thought it was when we voted on the first time. The importance to that was to pass a certification and decertification process for police officers, which they agreed to with the, the Attorney General's office, so that was part of the bill. And the second was the Pretrial Fairness Act, which mm -hmm. talked about bail and making sure we're keeping people locked up based on threat and danger as opposed to how much money you have. And I think those two core uh, features of the bill are still there. And I think those will be found um, constitutional. I know there's lawsuits on that. Um, and so after we voted for the Original Safety Act, the priority for me was to make sure that we passed clarifying language to address some of the concerns that, um, uh, that voters brought up to me when they read the bill. And I believe we did that as well. We made it a better bill uh, through those uh, trailer bills, through those amendments. And so I think once the process uh, plays out in the courts, we're going to see a uh, a better system for how we hold people pre-trial and a better system for making sure we hold those very few uh, bad officers accountable in the state of Illinois. There is opposition, as you've heard, both to the, uh, the assault uh, uh, rifle uh, issue as well as the Safety Act from county prosecutors as well as county sheriffs uh, saying that sure. whether they're going to enforce the law or, or enforce it as rigorously as perhaps uh, you would intend it to be. How, how dangerous do you see that? You know, I'm not sure about dangerous, but I do believe that our, our law enforcement personnel, I mean, the, the system in, here in this country, in Illinois, is that the laws are presumed constitutional. And we let the courts figure that part out. Uh, and so to say that you're actively not going to enforce the law, I don't, I don't support that. Um, the law itself doesn't require our state's attorneys or, or sheriffs to go out door to door and ensure that people are complying with it. But if you get stopped and you've done something that's against uh, either one of these, you know, the, sh the sheriff or the state's attorney should be uh, enforcing at that point. And again, the courts are doing their thing. There's a, there's a current stay on enforcement uh, of, the, of the Safety Act, so if a uh, sheriff has concerns about that, uh, there is no requirement to enforce it. And that's the way it should be. The courts will say uh, when we need to start enforcing and when we need to stop enforcing. Let the courts do their job. Let's talk about the other big job as far as uh, government is concerned, and that is the budget, of course. Uh, $3.7 billion surplus reported for fiscal uh, 2023. Uh, also, you got $14 billion in federal COVID money, ARPA money. Yep. Um, two things. Uh, you got to be happy with the surplus, of course. Yep. Um, the state really got a lot of help from the ARPA funds. Those are going to be going away. Is it good budgeting, or just did you get the lifeline from the feds when you needed it the most? Uh, it's a, it was good budgeting. Um, the ARPA dollars and the COVID funds were, were, some, were extra. If you talk to Controller Mendoza, she'll tell you that we got their, the bill backlog down and paid off before we received a dollar of federal funds. And that had been something she's been working on for many years. Um, we've made very responsible decisions, uh, particularly from 2019 uh, forward. And I think even though one-time federal dollars aren't going to be there, the kind of base that we've provided in um, not, not overspending on new programs. We've used uh, surpluses to pay off debt rather than start new programs. And that's going to provide us a better baseline, even if we see another economic downturn or even if we see uh, a slower supply of federal funds uh, into our budget. We've maintained uh, the kind of discipline that voters have been asking for uh, for many years. And that's something I'm most proud of as, as a state rep and now a state senator. So where do you see your priorities then? I mean, because uh, we always hear that uh, the state wants to invest more in education. Mm -hmm. We've obviously invested a lot in public health in, in the last uh, two years. Um, 
education, including post-education, your colleges, trying to make uh, the Illinois uh, university system stronger and retain more of these Illinois students to stay in state. I mean, is, is that still priority one? They are, and, and what we've done over the past couple of years is allowed that budgeting to be easier. We made a commitment to add an additional $350 million every year for the K-12 evidence-based funding. That uh, is a difficult thing to do if you're not having increased revenue and if you have continued debt. The fact that we we're able to put additional money into the debt, get it off the books, frees up money going forward so we're not making interest payments, we're not making other debt payments. We can put that money towards the $350 million each year. Um, we do the same for making sure our unemployment insurance system is strong when the next downturn comes. We've paid off that debt completely uh, without an increase or you know, without a large increase to uh, employers or asking employees to cut benefits. Uh, so the things we've done have prepared us to invest in K-12 education. Uh, one of the big pushes I think we'll see this year is investment in uh, child care, access, and affordability. Uh, the business community is looking for it. Um, uh, parents are looking for it because they want to go back to work, but they need uh, a place for uh, their child to get early childhood education and just, you know, Supervision and, and is that one of the critical infrastructure pieces that you see is childcare right now because yep. it, it, it factors into everything. It, it factors into people's employment. It factors into so many different issues affecting everyone. Absolutely. If you talk to businesses now, because of our historically low unemployment, um, everyone is looking for workers. And one of the biggest factors preventing people from entering the workforce is either that they can't find someone uh, to take care of their, their children during the day. Mm -hmm. Or they have the ability to, to send them someplace, but the cost of that isn't worth the cost. It's going to neutralize why take the job, right? The income you're going to get from the job is all going to go straight to daycare. Um, and so we, we need to uh, have a better system that allows people to affordably send their children so they can go to work if they want to. Personal priorities. What, what do you see in 2023 as the newly elected uh, state senator for the Quad Cities? So the biggest one we already talked about is the, the budget. Um, I mentioned last week at a forum that it's a, it's a minor trauma for me. Can I, came, I came in when we hadn't had a budget for more than two years. Right, right, and that right. is always now the top priority for me, making sure we get something passed. Um, the second thing would be to try to make sure we're getting uh, the, our budget priorities and our funding to the local communities. A lot of local communities feel left out. They're not getting assistance for road projects. Uh, or for other capital needs. And I want to make sure that I'm opening those lines of communications, uh, helping prepare those communities to apply for grants, uh, to apply for dollars, and bring those back uh, here locally. I remember one pet project that you really had hoped for to get some state attention was the uh, Milan Steel Dam. Yep. The, the uh, dangerous current that's in that area. We've had fatalities in that area, very sad stories uh, uh, where people were enjoying a weekend and it just ended tragically. Yeah. What are you hoping along that line? And I know that's a very specific yeah. uh, uh, area that you're interested in, uh, but it does affect people directly. It does, and we actually obtained um, the, the first uh, funding for uh, environmental study and engineering study of that area uh, to provide some uh, possible alternatives to make that area safer. Um, that was funded, in, I believe, in the fiscal year 22 budget. Uh, I'm not exactly sure the year. Okay. Um, it was $800,000. Uh, the Department of Natural Resources is putting that out for bids, um, and they're going to do that phase one, or, or what? Uh, I'm not sure what they call it, but a, a design study to see what the options might be. When that's completed, then it'll be a conversation 
to find out which of those alternatives, if any, um, are, the, are the best for that area to try to make it safer. You're now elected as state senator uh, after being representative uh, for, is it three terms? Three terms. Three yeah. terms. Um, tell me what the difference is going to be for you as senator, other than geography. That really is the, the biggest for me. The way I do the job certainly isn't going to uh, change. The process is fairly similar. You introduce a bill, you send it through committee, get advocates and support, and then uh, hopefully pass it on the floor. Um, the toughest part may be working with some of my former colleagues to, to, mm -hmm. to get something that started over in the Senate. Um, but it is a larger geography, and will take up a little bit more time to get to each of those new communities. Uh, I feel I've done well so far, but um, that's certainly going to be a challenge. Like I said, you do wear two hats because you're also the head of the uh, Democratic Party in, in Rock Island County. Do the Democrats have a lot to run on uh, because of the budget surpluses and, and, and the uh, fiscal situation in Illinois, which was devastatingly bad just, what, three years ago? Absolutely. You know, we've made a commitment. There's a, there's a new generation of, of Democrats in Springfield, and we've got a, we're, we're working with a Democratic governor that understands the type of discipline we need to get our uh, fiscal house back in order. And um, so we made that commitment to the voters. We recognized. We're a party that listens, <laughs> does listen to the voters. Um, and they said, we want a budget. We want a responsible budget. We want government to work again. And that's what Democrats have been providing here in Illinois. And so I, I don't see that uh, changing in the near future. Um, you know, we've got uh, Greg Johnson now as state representative. I think he's committed to that as well. Um, not going to speak for him, but he, he, he wants government to work. Um, and we're going to continue that process. I think our Democrats are going to prove that we are a party that's, that's able to govern. We see a lot of dysfunction in the Republican Party, um, focus more on, on principles and not necessarily getting things accomplished, uh, either in Springfield or Washington, D.C. I would say that the minority leader, Tony McCombie, who you have worked with because, you know, you were both uh, uh, state representatives for this area, uh, uh, would disagree with you there. I, I think mean, she would. Are, are, I think she would. Are you <laughs> looking forward to working with her in her new role? Because it is kind of interesting to have that type of representation in our area when that used to be maybe a Collar County uh, representative or, or somebody not necessarily from Western Illinois. Yeah, I'm extremely excited for her to be a leader. I'm glad that we do have a, a good downstate uh, voice um, uh, leading a caucus. Uh, the trouble is that the, the caucus has taken a stand almost against everything that Democrats have done, even though Republicans have traditionally been the ones asking for uh, balanced budgets. We've been passing budgets that at the time were balanced, and it actually turns out are bringing in, as you mentioned, billions of dollars in surplus. So we've been passing responsible budgets, and yet the Republicans continue to claim that we're being fiscally irresponsible. So I know there's a political message that, that she has to send, uh, but I'm hopeful that she's going to be a, a governing partner when things need to get done. We looked at all the restrictions that happened during COVID. Uh, we saw all the changes that have happened over the last two and a half years. Now, you've got 2020 vision now to look back. Um, did Illinois go too far? I mean, have we learned anything from this pandemic as far as closures are concerned and, and how uh, school, board, uh, school districts actually really uh, had to shut down? And you take a look, like you said, across the river where things were done differently and they've had successes as well. I mean, what have we learned over the last two and a half years? Uh, I think we've learned that you need to have a um, uh, basically an, an educated Department of Public Health that has, that's funded and has procedures to handle uh, the unexpected. 
Um, I think the governor made some uh, good decisions early on to protect Illinois. I think when you look at the, um, you know, the statistics for excess deaths down the road, you're going to find that Illinois did better, um, particularly after the vaccines were uh, introduced than, than other surrounding states. Um, and I, I think um, the, the economy has not suffered the same way uh, that many of folks predicted. Uh, we, we're still, I guess you mentioned, running surpluses. Uh, we still have historically uh, low unemployment, uh, even after all the uh, unemployment benefits that, that mm -hmm. some Republicans were complaining about have run out. Um, you know, we're not, we're not uh, keeping people at home or incentivizing people to be at home anymore. You know, we still have you know, record low unemployment and jobs to be filled. So I think we are going to come out of this uh, well. Um, you may quibble over, you know, whether we should have gotten rid of a, a mask mandate in the hospitals a week or two before or, or a month. You know, those things are, uh, you know, uh, not as material as the bigger issues. But I think it was the right decision uh, early on as when we didn't know anything was, uh, or didn't know exactly what was going to happen with the, with the virus. Illinois State Senator Mike Halpin, Democrat from Rock Island. Now, in a moment, public television looking for your help. But first, here's Laura Adams with a list of great ideas that will get you out and about. This is Out and About for January 27th through February 3rd. Registration is now open for the eighth running of the Frozen Fat Fondo Fest. Riders will start at Credit Island Lodge. The endurance bike ride is scheduled for January 28th at 8 a.m., rain, snow, or shine. The Bettendorf Public Library's Community Connections program present Ghost Kisses, the fascinating paranormal history of the Quad Cities, with Michael McCarty, February 3rd at 2 p.m. The Artists of African Descent exhibit at Quad City Arts is holding a free gallery reception February 3rd from 6 to 8, where artists will be present and refreshments will be served. The exhibit will be on display from February 3rd through March 17th. Comedy Sports Quad Cities performs each Friday and Saturday night at the Spotlight Studio in Moline. Dr. Seuss's The Cat in the Hat and The Cataray takes place January 28th and 29th at North Scott High School starting at noon. We Will Rock You, the musical featuring more than 20 hit songs by Queen, continues to bring down the house at Circa 21. The Black Box Theater in downtown Moline opens Natural Shocks by Lauren Gunderson, running February 2nd through 11th. The musical Hairspray is on stage at the Adler Theater January 31st at 7.30 p.m. And Tom Foolery on Tremont present the comedy of Dan Alton on January 29th at 7 at Renwick Mansion. For more information, visit wqpt.org. Thank you, Laura. If you're watching our Thursday night broadcast, you have just a few more hours to make bids in WQPT's The Auction at Your House. I encourage you to check out the details at WQPT.org. It's just one way you can help public television in the cities. But how does WQPT help you? We talked with WQPT General Manager Don Schmidt. So Auction at Your House concludes at 10 o'clock on Thursday. Correct. It's been going on for a couple days. And what's, what's interesting is that this is kind of a neat way to get people involved and to raise money. Yes, and it was actually a brainchild or a, a step back in time that we, because of COVID, yeah, because we weren't able exactly. to have our auction during um, Champion on the Rocks. So this is a way for us to have one of our biggest fundraisers and involve more of the community. I think a lot of people would say, well, wait a second, why do I have to help out uh, public television when my taxpayer dollars is already doing that? Absolutely, and we do appreciate all the tax 
tax dollars that we do get, but it provides only a small portion of what it costs to, because it's $180 per hour for public television, for WQPT's public television. So we depend on the members to and viewers to provide the, the, the difference. Yeah, I, I think people may not really recognize that, but not only is it what's on the broadcast channel, WQPT has a, a great deal of outreach, particularly to children in the community. I mean, that's a really important part of the fundraising effort as well. Absolutely. Last year, WQPT provided over 3,000 books to uh, children in the area. Uh, we also do a lot of outreach last year with our Summer of Possibilities. And so we went to about 56 different libraries in the community, from Sterling down to Macomb, mm -hmm. over to Burlington, and up to, uh, oh gosh, what's north of here? Um, well, Sterling. I mean, yeah, yeah. Sterling. <laughs> yeah, you, I mean, uh, you may want to go further to the east. Where do you go far? I mean, Kiwani in that area? Kiwani, yeah. yeah. Actually, our furthest is Rock Falls. Okay, all right. So tell me, because I think a lot of people don't realize it, because they think, oh, it's Quad Cities Public Television. It is a huge broadcast area, and, and you do have to reach all of the customers, which you have, throughout the entire area of Western Illinois. Absolutely. And our capital campaign, our signal improvement project, helped us to expand into these new areas. People may not have realized the extent of that. What, what did the capital campaign do as far as your broadcast signal is? Well, it improved our signal, and yeah. so now we go up um, almost to Galena and then down to Macomb before we would stop at Monmouth. And of course, Sterling and over to Burlington. We stopped before Burlington. So it also helped provide uh, new equipment for us. So we were able to improve our technology because technology is always it's changing. Everything. And so we're uh, poised just to be ready to, for whatever comes next. It's always been said, especially from the staff at WQPT, that there's a certain, certain pride in minimalism. <laughs> the fact that you have to make this TV station work with very little staff and very uh, frugal uh, spending uh, studios that aren't as big as perhaps some of the public television stations right. in other states. It's the little engine that could. Is it still that way and how difficult is it to manage something that is that small when it comes to public television? It is that small. We are one of the smallest public television stations in the country. Um, we've made some tough decisions over the years and we've had to reduce our staff, but now we're starting to grow ourselves back. So we've added two new staff members this year. That's helped to bring us back into the community and help us with our outreach, um, allowed us to do summer of possibilities. Yeah, and it does make a difference. And, and talking about outreach, I mean, Ready to Learn Conference is one of the biggest things you do in the spring and it's coming up in April. Yes. Who can get involved in that right now? And they should be thinking about it right now. Absolutely. We haven't had the Ready to Learn Conference for several years yeah. now. So um, it's going to be open to teachers. It's going to be open to preschools and uh, preschool teachers. Uh, Melissa Gravert is our education director. She is coordinating this. And she's working with Western Illinois University's education department as well. So she's a great person, and she's going to start putting out more information very soon to start letting people know how to register. Well, it's interesting because the Ready to Learn uh, uh, events that you have, a wide range of topics. And if you think about it, at this point where we're, we're post-pandemic, it's more important than ever to, to have some of these uh, featured speakers and some of these topics that people are going, yeah, I need to know more about this. Yes, absolutely. Teachers have had it very tough from COVID. 
And so this is an opportunity for us to give them affordable, ongoing education. Let's talk about the other big event, and it's more historic than anything else, but this year marks 40 years for WQPT. Absolutely. I mean, that is a huge accomplishment for uh, a television station that started at Blackhawk College, then had a period of time where wasn't certain what was going to happen with right. the license, and now is working uh, with Western Illinois University. It's been a heck of a 40 years. <laughs> it has. We've had lots of challenges and lots of great successes. So, but yes, the, our annual gala is coming back. We haven't had it since COVID, so it's been gone for three years already. So in April, we're going to have our annual gala and kick off 40 years of fantastic public television for the Quad City area. Why has it been successful? How is it able to last? I mean, I would think the outreach and the, and the community relationships that WQPT has, has created has really helped. The people, definitely. We have had an incredibly dedicated staff through the years who have had a passion for public television. Sorry, getting a little choked up there. Um, so yeah, and then the people, the community, our, our claim to fame or the one thing that we really stand behind is of the community and being there for people. Yeah, yeah. Well, and a love of broadcasting, but it is, like we said, so much more than just broadcasting. The, the outreach is really important. So let's be honest. I mean, if somebody wants to be a part of Auction is at Your House, they can find out more at WQPT. But Absolutely. go to that website anyhow, because the website really does explain all of the things that are going on. How, how, I mean, give us your best pitch. I mean, people should go to that website tonight. <laughs> Absolutely, it's a great way to learn about WQPT, what we've done in the past, what we stand for, um, how important the community is to us, and how we give back. Don Schmidt, WQPT General Manager. If you're joining us Thursday night, check out WQPT.org and find something to bid on in the auction is at your house. And if you're joining us on WVIK or watching one of our rebroadcasts, check out the website anyway to make sure that you can find ways to make the most of your local public television station. On the air, on the radio, on the web, on your mobile device, and streaming on your computer. Thanks for taking some time to join us as we talk about the issues on the cities.